Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode, or any episode in particular. It really is appreciated. So we're on episode 21 right now. Last time around we were talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is kind of why we're here now, really, um, doing this particular episode, which you'll obviously see when you've clicked on it. Episode 21 is, you know, which is the best superhero film? That's what we're going to be discussing today. I've kind of, I've not been able to get to the cinema in the last, well, since Shang-Chi, obviously. I'm looking Looking to catch Malignant, James Wan's new film next week. Um, I am so excited to see what James Wan has done. I'm hearing all sorts of things, but we'll obviously talk about it on the show, on the podcast even, next week when, uh, yeah, once I have seen it. Uh, but this this week, though, we are going to be talking about the best superhero films because they're just, they're just massive now, aren't they? They're just everywhere. And it's not a bad thing because some of the films we've had have been absolutely excellent. We had a few hit and miss ones over the years. I think there's been a fair few, like, kind of like, you know, just testing, testing to see if that would work. You know, starting back in 1998, we had Blade with Wesley Snipes, which pretty much got the ball rolling, pretty much for superhero films. Um, for me, as a kid growing up, I didn't actually realise until much later on that Blade was like a Marvel superhero. So, and I'm sure that's the same for many people as well out there, but Blade 1 and 2, really good. Blade Trinity, ah, d- I just don't know what to say about that one. It's a bit of a mess, isn't it? It's quite strange having David S. Goya linked to that film and it being such a bit of a mess. And, you know, we'll probably talk a bit more about David Goya um, over this podcast episode. And that's not me obviously saying that Blade was essentially the, the, the start of it. I think that, yes, it got more more bums in seats almost and kind of started to put Marvel on on some kind of trajectory. Um, but like obviously there was the Superman films from the 70s onwards, you know, that they, they were massive as well and, and loved watching those when I was a kid. As to the Batman films, you know, they were about obviously in the, the late 80s, early 90s, in particular the infamous for Batman Forever and, and Batman and Robin, who that were like solely marketed for kids and for me as a, as a youngster, you know, growing up with those those films as well in the Batman animated series. Of course, I was a massive fan of Batman as well. Um, and and you'll, you'll probably learn that over the course of this podcast as well with the superhero films. But what I was kind of, what I'm trying to say is, is that this list, although I'm dubbing it as the best list, it's kind of the best list of superhero films that kind of, I don't know, like opened my eyes a little bit or at least put me on some form of like real, real love and admiration for these kind of films, um, which is, yeah, which is why put these five in this list, basically. Taking nothing away, as I say, from the Batman films and from the the films prior to any of these, because it is going to be starting in like the 2000s. Um, I just think that it always happens, isn't it? When you're a kid, you don't really, you're watching a film and you're not really taking it in, or at least you're enjoying it, but then it's when you start to really, really look into the themes and such of the films and what they're going for that you start to really, really, really sink your teeth into. But yeah, like I say, here we are. I just want to dive in to talk about my favourite or what I would you know, list as the best superhero films. It's been difficult because... As I said, there's so many of them, um, but I've managed to get it down to five. Well, five or six. You'll see when I when I start off why it's five or six because I I really wasn't sure which one to put here at number well in the number five slot. So I'm just going to go over it and say over this list of what I think are the best superhero films. Going to go over and discuss and dice well not dissect but you know just chat about the film and also sprinkle a little bit of trivia for each film as well because ah who doesn't love pop culture trivia eh? But at number five or six, I managed to get it down to number f- to, to five films of the super. There's been so many, and we are going to obviously give a shout out to you know some of the other really really standouts that just didn't make this particular list of mine, anyways. And of course, as always, if you disagree or if you agree, let me know. Get in touch. We can have a chat. The socials. It's Joe Blogs Films. That's a Twitter handle. Please give that a follow. You can also find the Facebook page, which is Joe Blogs About Films. Or if you just want to message me personally, that's also fine. I really don't mind. I'm doing this 
to uh, yeah, I'm doing this out of enjoyment. So whatever, whatever floats your boat. But at number five, I couldn't decide between X Men One or X Men Two. And I just, I, I loved these films growing up. Like, the X-Men were everywhere. Like I said, for me anyways, they were one of the first superhero films that I saw, obviously, you know, taken into account. I saw Batman Returns as quite a young and uh, which was traumatising. <laughs> um, but, you know, then we had, like, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and I feel like X-Men was the first film to really make... I mean, because Batman's cool, and, and he's my favourite DC character, but I feel like... The films, I don't know, like especially Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, they were just like toy commercials, weren't they? Let's be honest. Batman and Batman Returns are by Tim Burton. They were very dark and more adult themes, if you will. So as a youngster, for me, it was kind of like hard to. I mean, it was Batman, so I just watched to see him kicking bottom, kicking the penguin's ass, or the Joker, this, that, and the other. So it wasn't like I was really too much paying attention to the storyline. But I feel like X Men One in particular really kind of brought me into that superhero world because it was X-Men, then we got Spider-Man, like, I think the year or two after. Um, but that first X-Men film was just absolutely brilliant. Obviously, the, the cast as well for it, not to mention, obviously, Hugh Jackman, who went off to be an absolute superstar after being in this, uh, after being in the first X-Men film, anywho, and oh, well, and then became this iconic figure in, in Marvel, really, by playing um, by playing Wolverine, Logan. And just Brian Singer with those, those first two films in particular, like I said, I can't really decide between the two because I know that X-Men 2 has got a huge, huge, you know, following in the sense that it's it's you know arguably better than the first one. But I don't know, there's something about that first one, the whole story building, you know, how we meet Logan, you know, and the cage fighter, this, that and the other. You know, that first shocking sequence when he's in the bar having a drink and then people are, you know, those those guys are griefing him because he beat them in the fight. Um, and they're all like, oh, I know who you are, I know what you are kind of thing. And that shot of like him you know, um, getting the two claws out and then the middle claw just coming down the middle towards the camera. Just, it was so, so good. So fantastic introduction to that character. You know, we didn't really see too much of his, too much of his face in the actual sequence when he was cage fighting. But um, yeah, I love that introduction to Logan. Obviously the, the chemistry as well with Anna, Anna Paquin as Rogue. Uh, that relationship blossomed him as like a, kind of like a brother, sister, father, father, daughter figure, I would say. Like he always wants to look out for her. And I, I just, I loved that dynamic of, you know, we've got the mutants who are just wanting to show the world there's nothing to be afraid of. Obviously, uh, well, everyone except like Magneto is kind of like, what's coming? Ian McKellen as well, man. Any film with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart in, ah, just what an absolute recipe for success. You know what I mean? What fantastic casting that is. Charles Xavier and uh, Ian McKellen as uh, as Eric, as, uh, Eric Lenscher, or Magneto, if you will. I just, I, I think that they really, really just just managed to make such a fantastic opening film with that first one because for me x-men 1 and x-men 2 are like the best and then the middle everything after that up until logan i can take it or leave it i thought days of future past was all right i didn't like apocalypse i didn't even see dark phoenix uh, obviously first class as well so it was very good um but i still if you were to be like right you can either watch first class or like x-men 1 2 or logan i'd be like oh, any day of the week give me the first two x-men um i just think there's such good films as well ray park as well as toads um which again as a kid you don't really realize that's darth maul until you're much older um but i, I just feel like the the whole the whole yeah the, the 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 story itself you know this that social commentary in the sense that because some people are different therefore we can we've got to either approach that in like a a, a a way of like should these people actually be allowed that same freedom as 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 other as other well humans if you will so I love that dynamic. I think that it was such a good film. The second one as well, the opening sequence with Nightcrawler is absolutely out of this world. That in itself could put it on the list. You know what I mean? Like because it's just 
unreal. Like the, the, the contrast of, you know, the, the imagery that was shown on screen to the music that's been played in the background, some kind of like opera. I just find it so captivating, like just these a shot of you know the door opening and you can see that the, you know the nightcrawler's teleportation like grabbing people throwing people about you know trying to get to the president um i just absolutely love love that sequence with uh, with nightcrawler and x-men one and two easily easily is some of the best for, for me anyways so i think they're absolutely brilliant um bit of trivia for you brian singer the director turned down this movie a couple of times believing that comic books were unintelligent literature However, after reading the X-Men comics and watching X-Men from 1992, uh, he found the story themes of prejudice and discrimination compelling and finally agreed to a live-action movie, which is kind of what I've been chatting about there, really, about this this whole prejudice and, and discrimination just because people are different. Um, I think it makes for a very, very compelling story, and I think that you know, you've got that in the second one as well, you know, with, 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 with Stryker and, and learning more about Wolverine's origin, if you will. Uh, which we still ended up getting an X-Men Origins Wolverine film. I have no idea why, because X-Men 2 kind of pretty much didn't, didn't like, you know, I think the problem with X-Men Origins Wolverine is not only is it a, it's a terrible film, um, the it's just, he spoon-fed everything to us, and it was just unnecessary in a way. Like, I think that that's one of my biggest problems I had with Solo, a Star Wars story, is that, like, it just spoon-fed every single thing about that particular character's origin, when sometimes the mystery is what's the best part of it. Um, and there is that element of mystery to X-Men 2 with Wolverine's, Origin, and that's another thing as well. There's so many X Men characters in in obviously the X Men comics, so many of them, and they always seem to focus on on Wolverine all the time. And I get it that Hugh Jackman did an absolutely master masterpiece performance in terms of how he became Wolverine and 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 you know carried that character for as long as he has. But I really would have liked them to if they were going to do these origin films. Why can't we have got someone else? Like there's so many cool. I mean, we're still waiting for that Gambit film, which I don't even know if is ever going to happen. Um, but you know, just going back to what I was saying about Striker, there's that. You know, that the prejudice almost leads, you know, to genocide because he's like, well, just get rid of all the mutants then. Just that's it. Like, we're just, just going to sort them all out because my son is a mutant. Therefore, you know, it's, it's wrong. Duh, duh, duh. I just, I think the first two films were so good and it's such a shame because I feel that if the X Men, The Last Stand, the third film, was anywhere near as good as these first two, I don't think we'd have got any of the other films that we did, if I'm being honest. I think that, yes, we would have got, you know, more, but I don't think it would have been you know, necessary in a way to kind of reboot the franchise. I think that they could have gone a different way. Because that's, you know, I, I say the reboot, they, they, it was like a soft reboot, weren't it, with First Class, and then they kind of merged everyone together. Um, but I was all for it because it was really great seeing the the mix of the new cast and old cast in X-Men Days of Future Past and stuff like that. But, yeah, that that's really just, just yeah, one of those things, really. But X-Men 1 and 2, really, really excellent films. Um, shortly after accepting the role of Magneto, Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen, apologies, was offered the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. What a film, obviously. I've spoke about Lord of the Rings already and what a great bit of casting Ian McKellen was. Originally, I think McKellen had to decline it, which I find absolutely staggering. Uh, but he spoke to Brian Singer about the interest in making Lord of the Rings uh, and Singer agreed to rearrange the movie's shooting schedule so that Ian McKellen could finish his scenes uh, by the end of 1999, freeing him to then travel to New Zealand in January 2000 uh, to start filming Lord of the Rings, um, which, fair play, Brian Singer, because, uh, my word, I don't know who else would have got as Gandalf if that wasn't allowed. Um, neither Sir Patrick Stewart nor Sir Ian McKellen knew how to play chess during filming. A chess master came in to teach them, and the uh, the chess sequences between those two, the conversations as well, like obviously it carries on throughout the, the dynamics of the first three films anyways, but... I just love those sequences, you know, like whether whether it was just either a, like a general chit chat or them kind of being philosophical um, as well at the same time. Um, yeah, some of the best sequences in 
the X-Men films, obviously at the end of X-Men 3 as well, obviously there's the thing of Magneto losing his powers, but then he like manages to just wobble, obviously he starts to try and use them against the, the chess piece and uh, starts to wobble and you're like, ooh. Um, the mansion using Xavier School serves as the, man as the Madison Mansion in Billy Madison, uh, the Luther Mansion in Smallville, and the Queen Mansion in Arrow. And obviously they'd be you'd be familiar. I think, I'm assuming it'd be the same mansion as what is used in Deadpool, potentially, I don't know. Um... But yeah, busy, busy mansion. It's always been used. Uh, there are three types of Wolverine claws, plastic, rubber, and steel. Uh, more than 700 individual blades were used by Hugh Jackman uh, and his four stunt doubles. Um, also, interestingly enough, as well, I was looking into this, uh, the first choice to play a Wolverine was actually Russell Crowe. He turned it down, but I believe Russell Crowe as well pointed him into the direction of Hugh Jackman, which obviously the rest is history. But yeah, Russell Crowe would have been interesting. There were some other names as well floating about. I think Viggo Mortensen, speaking of Lord of the Rings, was was also was also a potential. Uh, Mel Gibson, uh, Aaron Eckhart, who obviously is uh, Two Face, Harvey Dent in um, The Dark Knight. Uh, John Claude Van Damme as well was also lined up as well. At least, um, yeah listed as well as Keanu Reeves I don't know if Keanu could have pulled that off if I'm being honest he's a great actor though but yeah Hugh Jackman no one better no one better let's be honest um, but yes so at number 5 I've gone for X-Men 1 or 2 depending on which one you particularly fancy I think like I say because the first X-Men film was just like a, a door opening for me to be able to really really get behind these uh, Marvel films so they weren't dark they were you know fun light hearted they had a lot of humour in there as well especially Wolverine with his, uh, yeah, I don't know, one-line quips or whatever. I just um, really, really enjoy those X-Men films. I actually watched X-Men 2 again yesterday in prep for this. Um, yeah, I uh, I really... Yeah, the, the sequence in X-Men 2 as well with the uh, Strikers team attack on the school was... Um, was excellent like it's just a very very good um you know there's the the contrast in you know the discussion between i've already mentioned about the the, the discussions that xavier and magneto have but you know that shot the sequence so when you know uh, xavier realizes that you know magneto has has told striker everything that he wants to know whether it's cerebro whether it's where the school is this that, and the other or, or something or other um you know and that attack sequence you know wolverine realizing that they're under attack and then him just going absolutely full <laughs> full on leather there's a really great shot as well at the start of the film when wolverine is out looking you know for answers in the snow um awful use i, I swear there's, there's reshoots involved in it because if you rewatch it like his head looks so strange in some places, like his hair looks awful. Um, like it looks so light up, and then the next sequence it's like normal again. It's really odd. But that shot where he's like kind of looking down, and his face kind of like fades into, um, it merges with a, a shot of a, a, a wolf, or at least maybe a wolverine, um, in, in, the, in the museum. So I really, uh, in the, yeah, museum. So I really, I like those kind of shots. I, just, I don't know, like X Men 1 and 2, it's really difficult, as you can see, for me to pick between the both, but I'm sure that people will let me know, anyways. But that's what I'm going to put at number five of, as, as the list of the top, top superhero films. Which then we'll move on to number four. Um, I say uh, this 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 one came out this year, and I, I was um and ah whether this was number four or number three. Um, some people will be pretty happy. This is like not higher than the rest of the films I've got lined up. But I'm going with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, straight in at number four in the top five. I think that. I mean, you can listen to my podcast episode on it previously, uh, where, I, where I obviously had a my review of it, which is available now on on Apple, Spotify, and Google, etc. But James Gunn is a genius, is an absolute genius with what he's done, um, you know, not only in the superhero realms, but also in, in well, just his filmography. Um, Slither's a great film as well. I, I just I just like his mind, how it works and what he's done with, like I've mentioned before about certain characters that, you know, like with this Suicide Squad, he had all 
the choices of what characters he could use in you know this film, whether it was big superhero names, whether it was just you know, well, the ones he picked basically. You know, he, he decided to keep it as as close to the original comics as possible um, by you know picking out characters that we didn't really know of and. I think that's what makes it so good because some of these characters you're like, who, what, hey? And it's just awesome. You know, Idris Elba coming in as well was absolutely fantastic. He was so, so good. He was initially hired to replace Will Smith as uh, as Deadshot, but, you know, it was later decided that he'd then do a new character, which would be Bloodsport. And I think that, yeah, fantastic because it's still then, at least if they were ever to want to bring Dead, Deadshot back, then they could. Um, but Idris Elba was so good. I mentioned in my last episode how, like, sometimes he's in films and he's kind of like lost in like a huge cast kind of thing. And this again is a huge cast, but he shines so bright in this film. He's fantastic, Idris Elba. Really, really good to see him in that lead role, as well as John Cena, I thought was absolutely just brilliant um, as, as the peacemaker. I, I found, like I mentioned before, about how Gunn's use of, you know, transitions, or at least to go from one scene to another, it's not your linear straightforward, you know, you, you get half, like, the story, and then it'll pop up and it'll be, like, a few minutes later, or, like, ten minutes later, and then it'll just cut to some other scene before, like, bringing it all together again. Use of Starro as well was wonderful. What a great villain. I believe that Starro was the first DC villain to to make an appearance, I believe. Yeah, first... Oh, sorry. He was the first ever villain in the Justice League comic, Starro. So, there we go. Really great to see him... Uh, just making an appearance. I, I just really enjoyed the Suicide Squad. I felt that it was the right level of gritty, the right level of, you know, humour, gore, whatever you want to say. Just, it expressed James Gunn in a perfect way. Like, I think that it's the film that really defines him as a filmmaker, and I absolutely loved it. Like I said, I mentioned before, it's definitely one of the best films uh, of, of this year, the last few years, one of the best superhero films I've seen in a long time. But in terms of... These are the films that have pipped it to it, you know. Number, I think four's, you know, the right slot for this because it, it, whether in a few years, because this is the thing. Sometimes you see a film and you're like, oh, that's a really good film. It's kind of like with me with Deadpool. When I first saw Deadpool, I absolutely loved the way they did the origin, the way that they just kind of again didn't structure it in your classic guy gets superpowers turns into superhero. Just I, I, I sometimes it can get a bit samey. Whereas Deadpool, I felt that. The way we established that character straight away, we're like into the thick of it in that sense. Like it's, he was the, you know, he's already Deadpool. We then learn, you know, through him telling the story, how he became that. And at the time I was like, that could be the best superhero film. But, you know, with older and wiser eyes, you can see that, yes, it's a good one. I'll give it a shout because I do think it is one of the better superhero films, but it's not like the best one. And I don't, I don't think that'll be the case with the Suicide Squad because I mentioned on my last podcast when I did the Suicide Squad that I felt the same way about the Suicide Squad afterwards as I did towards Deadpool, which was like, is that the best? Is that the best superhero film ever? Uh, and it's kind of, I'm kind of glad in a way that I've managed to just, you know, do a bit more, you know, rewatches and stuff of other superhero films to kind of gauge where I think it would fit. And I do think the number four, it's definitely in the top five for me, anyways. Whether people will disagree, um, you know, he's it, it, so so good. James Gunn described Ratchcatch 2 as the heart of the film, uh, and I completely agree. I, I mentioned again in my previous podcast how there's a lovely sequence between Ratcatcher 2 and Idris Elba having a chat on a on the bus on the journey into you know where they're going to tackle Starro, etc. And for me, it was like my, one of my favorite scenes in the sequence because it wasn't as if anything, you know, explosions were kicking off. It wasn't an action sequence. It was just a lovely discussion between two characters, like a heart to heart essentially, and it was more. I don't know, impactful and more meaningful than any of the 
previous Suicide Squad that we got, and it just was, it was wonderful. And I think that James Gunn deserves all the praise for that film because I think Suicide Squad, like I've mentioned numerous times, is a very, very, very good film. If you haven't seen it yet, I think it's available to rent now. It's going to be coming out on physical copies, etc. soon. Get on it. It's really good. But that's why I'm putting number four, Suicide Squad. I think that it's a very good story, very good sequence. I love the structure of the film. Wonderful cast as well. Obviously, I'd, I've not gone over it too much because I've already done a podcast episode on it, so you can check that out as well. But I think it's a very, very good film. And uh, yeah, hats off to James Gunn. He's a magician when it comes to making superhero films, or just films in general. Which brings me on to number three. We're going back to Marvel. Uh, and number three, I'm going to go for Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War to be exact. And um, yeah, you could say, what about Endgame? I think Endgame is a great film. Endgame is a fantastic spectacle to bring this you know, all these like 20, 20 odd films or whatever it is to a close in that sense, or at least, you know, bring it to some kind of form of epic conclusion. Um, but at Infinity War, when that man, a man alive, when that came out, it was just out of this world. I loved the fact that it was Thanos' story, essentially, because for me as a fan, since Thanos' first like kind of introduction at the end of the first Avengers back in 2012, just been waiting to see more of him. I was so happy to see him in the Guardians of the Galaxy when he had more of a, yeah, well, just a cameo, obviously, but it was more than what we'd been given because we got the end of Avengers 2 when he got the gauntlet and he was like, I'll do it myself. And then, you know, Guardians was the first kind of real introduction to this mad titan. Um, and I just love, love this uh, this 19th movie in the Marvel Studios uh, Cinematic Universe. I think it's wonderful. I, I loved every minute of it. I actually didn't realise at the start of the film the, the introduction of, you know, when you can hear the distress signal from the Asgardians, the Asgardian ship. It's actually Sir Kenneth Branagh who directed Thor who was doing, who, who was speaking at the beginning. I think that's a great cameo because if there's one thing these last two films did, or in particular Infinity War, bringing those people together, you know, it just, it blew my mind. Obviously, we were expecting maybe all of the Avengers in this, but you knew they were saving it for the final one, which would be Endgame. But, you know, that Wakanda sequence at the end, you know, my word, Chadwick Boseman, again, in this film is amazing. Um, you know, this that that whole sequence at the end said that, I mean, Thanos is off doing his own thing, you know, on his on his planet. And then uh, you've got, you know, the, the, this huge battle kicking off at Wakanda. I, I just think it's there's so much going on. You know, you've got the, the hero trying to stop Thanos from, you know, doing, you know, defeating everyone or at least, you know, obliterating half the universe kind of thing. Um I just think it was such a great, wise decision from the Russo brothers to be like, you know what, we're going to do it as a Thanos story. Um, I think they actually said they decided very early on to turn this movie into a smash-and-grab heist movie, told from the viewpoint of the lead villain Thanos, which is great when you think that it's a heist movie, it's Thanos' heist movie in this, but then it's the Avengers' heist movie in Endgame. I love that contrast. I think this... I would happily watch this film any day of any day over Endgame. I know it, sound, it might sound strange because the payoff at the end of Endgame is wonderful. You know, it's one of my favourite cinematic moments in Endgame was Cap getting the hammer and so forth, as I'm sure many Marvel fans as well will agree. It was an amazing moment. But Infinity War, for me as well, speaking of Cap, that moment when Thanos like goes out to grab him and he's like holding on, it's like referencing that comic in the, the comic sequence when, you know, uh, Cap says something like, as long as there's one man standing, you know, we can stop him kind of thing. And, in the comics, just backhands him. I think that's the end of it. But I just love like the fact that he's that Thanos almost like grins at, at Cap while he's forcing, like using all his strength to be like, yeah, fair play, man. You're you're actually quite strong, but I'm still gonna beat you anyways. Um, I, I just think it's just excellent. I, I loved this film so much. You know the way they did the marketing for it. We didn't really get much of a trailer, and when we did, they didn't show us too much as it is. And you know, especially you know, editing out 
so many Infinity Stones of what Thanos had at the time in the film, just to kind of leave us just with not really much to go. And obviously Endgame took that to another further level, and even Spider-Man No Way Home has done that recently as well. Um, but I, I just think it was so well put together, and the Russo brothers are just, again, what a set of guys they are, great directors, love their work with Community, love what they did with Captain America, Winter Soldier, and, and Civil War. So this, for me, was just like the ultimate, like, oh, chef's kiss you know what i mean infinity war you know i was in a way i was rooting for thanos purely because i've been waiting to see what this big bad this mad titan could possibly do against them but the whole story the, the dynamics of it you know the, the 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 separation of like the key avengers they weren't together at all in this film they don't really you know interact much they're off you know different different areas different different world different you know worlds if you will sorry different parts of the galaxy you know bringing the guardians in with thor and uh, you know, Doctor Strange meeting Iron Man and that dynamic there, you know, two kind of egotistical, uh, egocentric characters just kind of, I don't know, like one and up, one upping each other, which, you know, re at, the, at the end of it, you've got to work together to stop these. And, and just that ending, that, that ending of, you know, Thanos snaps, does the snap, 50% of the population vanishes. And, um, you know that that there's that you know the, the the face of Captain America. You know a great portrayal from Chris Evans when he realizes what's happened. He's like, oh god, and then he can still hear that like kind of that. I think it's thunder as it like cuts, and you know you get to see that that shot at the end of Thanos just having what he said, what a peace, what a searched and peaceful world, if you will, and sat in his garden with a smile on his face. And it's you kind of I remember being I remember thinking, is it going to happen? Are they actually going to? wipe out 50% of the people, will he win, you know what I mean, and, and he does, and you're like, I felt like it was going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to happen, but it did happen, and I think it was wonderful, I think it's a very good film, obviously the payoffs in it, the 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 way to say for, for seeing Thanos and his powers and such was just wonderful, and yeah, excellent filmmaking, excellent storytelling from the Russo brothers, and yeah, that's why I think it pips Endgame, there's just something about it, say the, the fight sequences are say, really good, it's just a very, very well put together film, and Endgame, obviously wouldn't be as good as it was if this film wasn't as just amazing as what this one was. So that's why it's number three. Infinity War, Avengers, wonderful. Absolutely bloody wonderful. Number two, this one is Spider-Man 2 from 2004, which is arguably one of the best superhero films ever made. Um, it is easy to see why. It's I've already mentioned it briefly on, uh, on my Spider-Man discussion podcast, just how good this film is. And again, I don't want to kind of go over this one too much because I've got some plans lined up with Spider-Man for the podcast uh, as No Way Home reaches its release date. But... Um, this is a wonderful film uh, in terms of character development, in terms of how, you know, we see that balance of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I don't think there's been a film like it. I think that maybe Tom Holland's Spider-Man's had a few moments where you're like, oh, OK, that's, you know, really good, um, you know, in terms of that balance and struggle. Um, but I just think that... As, as a kid, I've already mentioned that I love Spider-Man 1. Spider-Man 1, like I mentioned, but that you know, I, I could have again done the same thing with Spider-Man 1 or Spider-Man 2 as I did with X-Men 1 and 2 at number 5. But the reason why I've gone for Spider-Man 2 is because, like, as I've got older and studied films and this, that, and the other, and, and well, just love watching cinema, it's just easy to see why this film is a lot better into, you know, in, in, that, in that sense, purely for character and storytelling. I think this film just ticks every single box. Like, there's so many layers to it, so many characters going through so many different things. You've got MJ who's kind of struggling in in that balance of you know work and 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 home life, if you will, in the sense that she, you know in her career and wanting to you know make it as a you know as an actor, an actress. Sorry, um, you know Spider Man himself is struggling with you know wanting to be with MJ, and he's you know not you know he knows he's got a responsibility to do with being Spider Man, but at the same time he just wants to be that kid who just leads a normal life you've got harry as well who's 
you know, struggling with the loss of his death of his father, who blames Spider-Man for that as well. There's a lot of anger in Harry in Harry's character in this film, um, and obviously that does lead to what he becomes at the end or start of Spider-Man 3 uh, being the new Goblin I think that there's so much going on there's also you know Aunt May as well who's obviously she's still coping with the loss of Ben and struggling financially and such and it's just a beautiful film you know one of my favourite scenes is obviously the, the it's the aftermath of, of Peter telling Aunt May that he felt or was responsible for not stopping the guy who killed Uncle Ben, which again is annoying because they changed that. I, I already mentioned on my last Spider-Man podcast that the the middle fingering of Spider-Man 3 to Spider-Man 2 and 1, really, because Spider-Man 3 undid everything that was good about the first two films, you know, changing who killed Uncle Ben, whether it was by accident or not. I don't care. Like, it was put, it was done well, you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason to link that together. But anyway, it's a bit of a tangent. Um, you know, like I've said there, one of my favourite scenes, sorry, is that, is that, is that you know, them, them talking, talking after he you know says it was my fault um he goes around and she's you know decided to move out and get rid of the stuff and he's all like where's my comics and she's like oh i threw them away it's like what <laughs> um i just I, I think it was a very lovely and i don't know it just reminded me of like how i would feel my grandma would react if or like you know my, one of my relatives would react if i went around after a, you know a bit of an upsetting conversation you know it's that that home life that kind of that love will never go away regardless of what he's just said or what he's, what he's, what he's revealed in that sense. And I don't know, it was really nice, especially when she's kind of like almost, it's the first kind of hint where you realise that Aunt May probably knows that he's Spider-Man and she's kind of like, everyone needs a hero. You've got to, you know, you've, you've got to do it kind of thing. And it's just great. It's a lovely, it's, it's a fantastic film. So I've not even mentioned Alfred Molino as well as Doc Ock, who, again, what a villain. That sequence in the hospital when he's when they're operating or trying to get the legs off, oh my word. Sam Raimi's like, yes, horror, scare. Like, it's absolutely... That, again, is one of my favourite sequences. I think it's fantastic. It's so good. And, and just, oh, he's such a good character. And I'm so excited to see Alfred Molino back as Doc Ock in this new film that's coming out in December. Such a great character. I was actually looking up at the list of names that were potential of, of being Doc Ock before Alfred Molino got it. Uh, David Duchovny, Fox Mulder nearly got it, or at least on the list anyways, but Arnold Schwarzenegger as well and Sam Neill all considered for the role of Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus. Uh, I think Robert uh, Robert De Niro as well was also considered for the role of the Green Goblin in the original movie. Um, but yeah, there we go. I, I just think that... Can you imagine Schwarzenegger? I think I, I, they surely went and watched Batman and Robin and were like, I'm not sure if we need this. I think that, yeah, Spider-Man 2 is, is excellent. The train sequence, the fight sequence, obviously not only is that wonderful to watch, but it's also dubbed as like one of the best fight sequences in, in the entire Marvel films. Um, it's just fantastic. It's so good. Such a good film. Like I've mentioned, you know, say as a kid, I love the first one. I love Goblin. I love that dynamic. And, you know, Willem Dafoe's performance in the first one was absolutely 10 out of 10. But this second film, like I say, that they got everything right, everything right. Why Spider-Man, Spider-Man? Why is he climbing those walls? Why? You know, what does Peter Parker actually want? And uh, like I said, the end when MJ is like, "Isn't it about time someone saved you for a change?" Wonderful, absolutely perfect ending for this film. It's a shame that Spider-Man three turned out to be an absolute mess. Really good. Number two, Spider-Man 2 from 2004. Excellent. And before we get to number one, I just want to give a couple of special mentions, some excellent films, superhero films, as I say, uh, so many over the years that really do deserve to be at least mentioned because, yeah, uh, the, the list of five just isn't enough, let's be honest. But I'm um, going to start with Logan because, again, very, very good film. I even watched the the Logan Noir version. I love this film so much. I felt that James Mangold did such a great job. You know, the grittiness, the, 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 the tone of the movie was spot on. Hugh Jackman's 
performance, his final performance, to say the outing of of the fantastic character Wolverine and Logan that he has portrayed over the years. You know, the supporting cast was excellent as well. Great for having Patrick Stewart back for that one. Um, but yeah, I really loved that film and definitely needs a mention in this list. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I've already had James Gunn. I'm surprised I didn't mention that when I was talking about the Suicide Squad, but Guardians of the Galaxy was one heck of a surprise. I mentioned again on a previous podcast just how you know Gunn takes these characters that I personally didn't know anything about and made this huge and highly enjoyable film. Um, yeah, it was a massive surprise back in 2014. Easily one of the better films of the Marvel and the MCU. Loved that film as well. Uh, Civil War, easily again, it could have been in this list. If, we, if, if I was solely doing the top Marvel films, Civil War would be in there because that is just again an epic grand spectacle that the fight that the, the sequence at the airport is just out of this world again it's i kind of wish they'd have been able to get more characters in for it like they did in the comics but for this cinematic universe it works really well and there's a lot of great themes in that in that film and russo brothers once again really nailing it birds of prey as well i loved birds of prey i know i mentioned again before about how some people didn't like birds of prey but i think it's a very good dc film that was awesome margot robbie as harley quinn once again any excuse to watch that really she's amazing in that role and also you mcgregor as the villain wow my word, there was some uncomfortable scenes with him in that film as well. And I think McGregor pulled it out of the park. It's nice. I love seeing actors that I love who are used to playing those good guys turning and playing a bad guy. It's a little bit like DiCaprio in Django Unchanged. You're used to being like in love with DiCaprio and loving his character and his story. But in Django Unchanged, you absolutely hate his character. And that's how I felt about you, McGregor, in Birds of Prey. So, yes, very good. Shang-Chi last week saw that again, straight up there. So good. Choreograph of the fight sequences, wonderful. Uh, visually and a great story as well so again deserves to be in there I'm just going to run through some more I've got Doctor Strange Spider-Man Homecoming great film uh, Spider-Man 1 the original one as we've already mentioned and uh, Joker with Joaquin Phoenix again that could have been in here but you know has to be just a, a slight miss on that one. I think that the, the Joker film, Todd Phillips did a, an amazing job. I really don't want a sequel, if I'm being honest. I think it's such a well-crafted, well-put-together story, Joaquin's performance as well, and again, how he got into the mindset of the Joker, the social commentary aspect of that film as well. Really, really good. So there's just a couple that I just wanted to reel off just before we got to the number one mark, but yeah, awesome films. I love superhero films, man. I'm sure who's listening does as well. But at number one, here we are, the best superhero film of all time for me personally, and I'm sure for many, many fans as well, and people have listened saying, if it's not this one, then there's something wrong. But I'm going with The Dark Knight because it's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. Christopher Nolan really, really nailed this film. And, you know, on the back of Batman Begins, we already had a strong setup for this film. This really takes it to another level. This was the highest grossing Batman movie and the highest gross of any movie um, adapting a DC comic character. Um, both records were previously held by Batman in 1989 with Michael Keaton. Um, and it just blows it out of the water, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the, the, this... The main, the main thing of this film is the Joker. Come on, Heath Ledger's Joker is unbelievable. Like, absolutely unbelievable. There's so many there's so many things in this film that you could sit and point out and be like, right, that's that's another reason why this film is good. That's another reason why this film is good. If we're just going to focus on those main two, Batman and the Joker, in this film for just a moment, you know, the, the dynamic between the two, the, the scenes that they share together, in particular that, that, that interrogation scene, Again, what a moment of cinema. I mean, Nolan was already kind of becoming this big film, like a massive film director in Hollywood as it was, you know, with, with previous films that he's done. And 
and this just kind of like just pushed him into a like up and above really because I feel like he just absolutely nailed this film um yeah so the interrogation scene was just a fantastic sequence you know we got the the tense tension we didn't really the best thing about the Joker is you don't really know what his motives are because he mentioned he's like a dog with a bone kind of thing or like a dog chasing a bone and it's just kind of his motives just changed throughout obviously he wants to kind of just show that in a crisis that you know the the message there is that that people will always kind of do what they think is best, or like in a crisis situation, like their 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 best and worst traits would kind of come out. Uh, we get a great demonstration of that with the with the um, go on the boat sequence at the end, where you've got the innocent people in one boat and the you know prison prisoners in the other in the other boat deciding who should blow which one up, kind of thing. And obviously, nothing happens with it, like nothing at all happens from that. And again, it's kind of in a way showing the Joker that you you, you can't always get things right in that sense. You can't always understands like the human psyche if that makes sense but for most of the part the Joker gets it absolutely spot on he knows what pushes people he knows what ticks he knows how to really get into someone's skin and he takes with Gotham by full force purely not even not even by I mean I know he blows a few things up he blows the hospital up and such as like an act of you know kind of like oh I've got this much power but I wouldn't say that like it's his first you know it's his go-to is to cause absolute mayhem it's just that he knows what he wants in his head. He's got the, you know, he doesn't like the fact that the cops and lawyers and Batman himself have taken all this power from away from the criminals and kind of going overboard. They've got greedy with that power and it's almost like taking that back and giving it to the people again or at least saying that, you know, Gotham doesn't, it can't be run by, you know, these high elites, if that makes sense. Um, just love the character, you know, Heath Ledger portrayed. It's so, so sad. It was heartbreaking with what happened to him. Um, I believe there's a documentary as well that you can watch. I think it's called I Am Heath Ledger, which is amazing. Uh, we got so much like more, more. We know we knew a lot about him, you know, locking himself away into a hotel room for days and end so he could really get into that mindset and understand the psyche of the Joker. But we learned more about that in the I Am Heath Ledger um, TV show as well, or at least the I think it was. I, think it was, I don't know if it was a show or like a one-off mini series or something. Uh, but he really, really delved deep into that. He devoted himself to it. He really got into it. He wanted to get everything perfect his laugh his you know his voice as well the sadisticness of the joker and, I th and no other person and I, it's nice in the way that i've just mentioned joaquin phoenix who again did an amazing portrayal of the joker but i don't think anyone will ever be able to get into that much of a mindset as what the joker as what Heath Ledger did with the joker it's amazing i also love the fact that you know the tick that the joker has was licking his face all his scars up his you know his chelsea smile scars throughout the film was due to the fact that um Heath Ledger was doing it to keep the prosthetics from stopping coming off so whenever he spoke obviously he kept licking to put them back on and that became part of the tick i i think that again just want to focus on the joker say for that for that moment just because he steals the show, doesn't he? It's his story. It's his. It's his film. Like Batman, yeah, fair enough. It's the Dark Knight. It's his. It's part of his story and how he he's trying to take down the Joker, trying to stop what he's doing. But this is the Joker's story. Like it's amazing. It's so such a shame that we never got the. Um, yeah, any more from the Joker because I do believe they were planning on using him for the Dark Knight Rises, which again is a very another good film. I think that this trilogy is amazing. I think that this trilogy, I think there's only one of this is one of three trilogies that is in the IMDb top 250 films. Like usually you get like one or maybe a sequel, but not the full three. And the Dark Knight trilogy is in that 250, and you can probably guess the other two as well, namely Star Wars, the original trilogy, obviously, and uh, definitely not the sequel trilogy, and um, and uh, Lord of the Rings, which obviously it's got to be done. Let's be honest. 
Um, but I absolutely just loved this film, loved what the Joker was, what, he, what in terms of what Heath Ledger did, you know, bringing that real world. It's because it's so grounded that you could expect to really, you know, it's got so many themes in this film that are so relatable as, as you know, as, as normal folk, if you will, that when we're watching this as an audience member, you're like, Christ almighty, what would we do in this in this um, in this situation, sorry, the tone, the dark, gritty tone of the Dark Knight, you know, just it's not exactly a happy story, is it? It's not like oh, I'm Batman and everything's happy go lucky kind of thing. I'm not like you know everything's wonderful. Um, it's just amazing to say they got you've got a fantastic portrayal of the Kate Crusader and a fantastic portrayal of the best supervillain that's ever been, really, or at least the one of the most you know noticeable, most known villain being the Joker. Um, I just think that this film, say it came out in 2008, it still stands to today. It's one of the, I think it's the only linear structured film that Christopher Nolan has done. We know that Christopher Nolan likes to just mess with us a little bit. Obviously, if you watch Tenet, you'll fully understand and appreciate that. But this is a linear storytelling. That's, that's beginning, middle and end. It's the only one that he's ever done it. Um, it doesn't take the viewer back and forth through different time periods or even tell a story. He just lets the story tell itself. And he is such an amazing filmmaker, Christopher Nolan. The stuff that he's done since this film or even prior, you know, all of his career, you know, there's an amazing box that you can get of all his films and such. And if I had the dollar or if I didn't already have them all, pretty much I'd get that box set because he's easily one of the best filmmakers and uh, obviously wrote this film with his brother, Jonathan Nolan. They made the decision very early on not to explore the Joker's origins, which I think is the best thing they could have done. I love the fact that the Joker just never really told his actual the full story back of, of how he got the scars or how he even came to really be who he is. Um, yeah, and Christopher Nolan as well broke. I think that the team, I don't know if it was directly Nolan, but when they were filming this, in particular, uh, the SWAT sequence with the vans and the Jokers chasing them all and such, um, one of the only, one of four cameras, one of the IMAX cameras, there was only four in the world, sorry, was destroyed during that. So that's a nice one to have on your, on your record, I guess. Uh, but I already mentioned previously about David S. Goya, who wrote um, Blade, and he directed Blade Trinity as well, because they had a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, fallen out with Wesley Snipes which is a bit of a shame because I think that yeah that they could have really that could have been another really good trilogy because Blade 1 and 2 were quite good um, but David S. Goya has been quoted to say that he when the film came out um, after watching the movie he said that he couldn't believe that his name is on a movie that good and I love that because it's just like it's like kind of like how you anyone must feel like that when they see a film that they've worked on that comes out and their name is linked to it you'd be like Jesus Christ as if I'm going to be in like linked with this film and I love that quote that he was like yeah this is I can't believe it um, this film as well was it received the most complaints of the decade from British viewers it was subject of 42% of all letters received by the BBFC in 2008 and I think that was due to the fact that I remember at the time a lot of people thinking this film should have been a 15 it's funny because a lot of people said the same thing about Batman Returns when that came out that it was too dark and too you know gritty for a younger viewing audience but uh, 12A gets at least like 12 year olds if you're younger than that you're going with the parent anyways but I do think that the the, the themes in this film you know, you know there's there, there are some darker tones obviously the Joker in a sense he's just a terrorist isn't he he's just going around and causing anarchy at any point but you know just quickly just taking us just moving aside from the Joker for a second because we could sit and talk about the Joker all day long in this particular film but Harvey Dent as well uh, Aaron Eckhart who played Harvey Dent you know 
what a fall from grace in that sense, you know, that for his character in this film, you know, he's a hero at one point. He's this icon of, of Gotham who's, you know, taken crime by the scruff of the neck and he's kind of tossed it back into the, you know, the prison cells and, you know, stopping crime and almost like, is there any need for Batman when you've got this guy in charge who's doing an amazing job? You know, going from that and then seeing his demise of becoming Two-Faced, you know, the tragic loss, not only the, 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 the scarring on his face, but the mental scars as well of what has happened happened with with Rachel obviously played by the amazing Maggie Gill and all as well who uh, again great supporting actress in this and I loved that kind of like relationship that she had not only with Bruce Wayne but kind of juggling in between does she want to be with Bruce Wayne but she can't be with him when he's Batman and also wanting to have again like kind of what I was saying about the Spider-Man films wants to have a normal life and the best chance she's got is with someone like Harvey Dent it's a it's a, such a tragedy it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet tragedy in a way like this they, they get put in a situation that none of them neither of them necessarily has to be the Joker capitalized on something that knew would get Harvey to essentially become a criminal and he used it perfectly and I just loved the CGI and the the, the the effects that they did for Harvey Dent to become Two-Face I think that again because this film is so in a it's so you know full of realism and it's it's grounded it's it's what it would be in a, in the real world if that makes sense you know having him as looking as he does on the on that side of the face rather than having acid thrown in his face. I mean, there was nods in a way to how he did originally get, you know, his comic betrayal betrayal of Harvey Dent Two-Face, um, you know, in the courtroom when the guy pulls out the gun instead of throwing acid at him and he's like, oh, you buy, need to buy American kind of thing. Um, I just think that Harvey Dent is a very... I mean, a lot of people at the time when the film came out said that the film went on a little bit too long and almost like they didn't need the Harvey Dent storyline, but... It wouldn't have made sense to do that separately. It wouldn't have made sense to bring Harvey Dent into this film to then have that build-up, or at least if we didn't include anything of him becoming Two-Face in that sense, to then wrap all that up in like the the sequel, if 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 you will, um, the the third film. I, I think it just wouldn't have worked well enough, and I think that you know it brings it round again to that whole thing at the end of you know with Harvey Dent saying before that you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That is you know Batman. Basically, that's Batman, you know what I mean? That's what he becomes. He's He takes the rap and the fall for Harvey Dent's horrendous crimes is what he's done since becoming Two-Face, that you know he needs to uh, make sure that the White Knight of Gotham doesn't become the person or persons that he was trying to stop in the first place, and Batman taking the fall was just a fantastic end, and it set the final film up perfectly as well. Um, but, you know, it's just one heck of a film. You know, the supporting cast itself, Gary Oldman... Um, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine. There are so many great names in this film. I've already mentioned Maggie Gill and all as well. It's just, it's a phenomenal experience. I saw this at the cinema a number of times. The first time I saw it, I could not believe that I was being almost. It was almost like a privilege in a way to sit and watch this film because you know you've got Christian Bale, who is arguably one of the best live-action Batman's in terms of his his portrayal of him. I think it's brilliant. You know, I know Batfleck as well was really good. I liked Batfleck a lot. I know people weren't too sure about him, but I felt that how he looked and stuff, uh, you know, his, his costume design and everything was very, very much the same as what it should be in the comics. But, you know, this 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 Batman in, in the Dark Knight trilogy, it's, it's, a, I say it's a real Batman. It's how Batman would be, I would suspect, if there was a vigilante going around saving people. Um, I just love this film. You know, there's so much inspiration from the comics, like The Killing Joke and The Long Halloween and stuff like that, that... It really is a fantastic film. There's so many layers to it. It's so grounded. It's so wonderful as well. And just, like I say, it's the Joker's show. It's the Joker's show. Christopher Nolan brought out, you know, casting Heath Ledger, which at the time people were like, really? What a bit of casting. What a fantastic piece of casting, which is why I never, ever judge any person that's cast in any film to do with superheroes or comics or villains or whatever, because 
they're always, always going to pull it. Well, for the most part, I've pulled it out of the bag because there's been a fair few people in the past that have been casting. You've been like, why? And then they've just been amazing. Batfleck, another one, was obviously under scrutiny and I thought he was excellent. Um, so yeah, that for me, there's, I, I, again, try not to waffle on too much about the Dark Knights. I think it's a majestic and fantastic piece of work from Christopher Nolan and the team involved, but easily, easily the best superhero film that's been ever made. I really do appreciate your listening. If you agree with this list or disagree, of course, please let me know your opinions. I'd love to have a discussion and chat. I'm always talking about films and superheroes, this, that, and the other. I just wanted to do this list today uh, for this week's episode, sorry, because like I said, I saw Shang-Chi last week. I loved it. And it kind of made me think like, well, what are the best ones? And let's just have a, a bit of an analysis and go over it. But I really do, again, appreciate you guys listening. This has been Joe Blogs About Films, listing and counting down the top, the top films of what I think are the best superhero films. I'm looking forward to catching James Wan's Malignant next week, like I say. But thank you ever so much for listening to this episode. Please get in touch, let me know what your thoughts are. And until next time, take care. <laughs>